This is Speaking of Writers. I'm Steve Richards. The book is Indivisible, Daniel Webster and the Birth of American Nationalism. The author is Joel Richard Paul. It's a fascinating account of the brilliant and complex figure who defines what it means to be an American. Joel Richard Paul is a professor of constitutional and international law at the University of California Hastings Law School in San Francisco. He is the author of Without Precedent, Chief Justice Marshall and His Times, and Unlikely Allies, How a Merchant, a Playwright, and a Spy Saved the American Revolution. Makes his home in Northern California. Happy to have Joel Richard Paul join me now here on Speaking of Writers. Joel, welcome to this program. Thanks for having me, Steve. So why Daniel Webster is a subject for you? Daniel Webster was one of the most influential political figures of the first half of the 19th century. As a constitutional scholar, I got interested in him because he had an incredible impact on the court of John Marshall and the development of constitutional law early in the 19th century. He was known as the defender of the Constitution. And he was probably the most successful advocate before the Supreme Court of all time. He argued about 150 cases before the Supreme Court and won some of the most important cases in our history. But more important than that, uh, he was, uh, as a member of Congress and a senator uh, and as uh, Secretary of State on two occasions and four times presidential candidate, he was known as the greatest orator of the English language. And his ideas about American nationality helped to shape the way that we think about ourselves as Americans today. So, Joel, how did he popularize the ideas of American nationalism? Well, Daniel Webster was an exceptional orator. Uh, he could speak for four to six hours extemporaneously, and audiences would described the experience as being mesmerized. They, they said that they felt transformed by him. He, he would, um, his speeches often ran 60 to 70 printed pages, and they sound like something Shakespeare could have written. His speeches were so famous that they were instantly transcribed and republished in newspapers all over the country. And people everywhere in America read his words, and Basically, what Daniel Webster did was to push back against the kind of populist, racist ideology promulgated by Andrew Jackson and the Jacksonian Democrats. These were people who argued that to be an American, you had to be white, European, and Christian. And what Daniel Webster argued was that the Constitution of the United States was the organic expression of the will of the American people and that it made all of us Americans, regardless of our race, our nationality, ethnicity, our, our place of origin, uh, that was a powerful idea that began to take hold in the 1840s. And by the time of the Civil War, it really shaped our response to the threat of secession. So, Joel, why has Daniel Webster often been overlooked? Well, he's been overlooked because of a critical decision he was forced to make in 1850. 1850, you'll remember, California wanted to enter the Union, and southern states feared the entry of another free state. So uh, uh, Henry Clay proposed a compromise, and the compromise was 
that in exchange for allowing California to enter as a free state, the northern states would agree to enforce the fugitive slave laws, which they had never enforced previously. And Clay went to Daniel Webster, knowing that Webster, as the man who had really been the conscience of New England, the man who had really been one of the leading voices in opposition to slavery for 30 years, that if Webster would endorse the fugitive slave laws and accept this compromise, that the rest of the North would follow. And Webster was faced with a very difficult choice. He had he had been a defender of the idea of union, and he believed that the union was the only vehicle that could crush slavery. Uh, and so he had to choose whether to whether to defend the union and save it from secession, or whether um, he would uh, walk away and, and allow the union to fall apart. And he, he decides to endorse the fugitive slave laws. And of course, when he endorsed the fugitive slave laws, he knew that would be the end of his political career. And so he was roundly condemned by people who had long been his allies in opposing slavery. Uh, his political career was ruined and he died an alcoholic a couple of years later. We're chatting with Joel Richard Paul. His new book is Indivisible, Daniel Webster and the Birth of American Nationalism. Let's talk to you about uh, Webster's influence on Abraham Lincoln. I remember reading a book on Lincoln once, and Lincoln, as a congressman, was very anxious and excited to get to Washington to witness the great triumvirate of Clay Calhoun and Daniel Webster. That's right. He he considered Daniel Webster to be his role model as a speaker. Um, and many of the things that we think today are great quotes of Abraham Lincoln were actually just lifted from Webster's speeches. So when, when Abraham Lincoln stands up and says that our government is a government of the people, by the people, and for the people, everyone in his audience would have known that those words were not his words, they were Webster's words. And um, it was Webster who really inspired Lincoln. Lincoln, like Webster, endorsed the fugitive slave laws, but of course he's more famously known today as the great emancipator. Chatting with Joel Richard Paul here on Speaking of Writers, Indivisible is the book, Daniel Webster and the Birth of American Nationalism. So this voice of this great orator, uh, Daniel Webster, was it compared to a great church organ? It was compared to a great church organ. He was called Godlike Daniel because when he spoke, it sounded like the voice of God. And there's a famous episode in the book where he is dedicating the monument at Bunker Hill, celebrating the great battle at Bunker Hill. It began the American Revolution. And at this dedication, there were 40,000 people in attendance, including the Marquis de Lafayette. And um, the crowd is so excited to hear him speak. Um, and he gets up to speak, and there's a portion of the, of the audience uh, outside that is covered by a great uh, uh, tent uh, for the uh, ladies to sit under so that they wouldn't be burned by the sun. And these women uh, are sitting under this tent, and the crowd pushes forward and knocks the tent over, and 15,000 women are engulfed in this giant tent, and there's pandemonium. And the city marshal says to Daniel Webster, well, that's it. You know, it's impossible now to restore order. People are running around shouting, and people are injured. 
And Daniel Webster says, nothing is impossible. And he stands up before a crowd of 40,000 panicked people and says, be silent. And the crowd falls to hush. And uh, everybody resumes, sits down, and, and, and the business resumes. And Daniel Webster goes on and delivers his speech. And it was events like this that, that gave him this sort of godlike reputation. Um, he was godlike in terms of his speeches. He was not so godlike in his personal life, but he had a great, uh, a great following. As a statesman, Joel, and you probably get asked this a lot, you know, he was in the same league as Washington, Hamilton, Madison. Where does he rank? Well, I think that he probably ranks um, uh, first among uh, equals in, in, the, in the first half of the 19th century. Uh, he is the, he's really the, the great orator of the 19th century. I, it isn't so much that he was a great legislator in terms of what he accomplished as a legislator. It's more that his impact was so extraordinary in shaping how we feel about being an American. But for Daniel Webster, uh, it might have been the case that the Jacksonian idea that we were basically nothing more than a collection of states that were free to nullify the laws of the United States, that we were defined by our race and our, and our, our faith, that those laws, that, that, that concept might have shaped who we are as an American public. But it was Webster who pushed back on that and said, no, we are all Americans. And I think, you know, especially today in this sort of moment of, of, uh, of populism that has been so toxic, I think, for our country and such a threat to our democracy. It's important to remember Webster's words and and to return to the idea that the Constitution made us one nation. And Joel, what would you like readers to take away from this book? Well, I hope that they'll take away from this book uh, the idea that it is possible um, for us to turn our back on this sort of threat that we now feel to our democracy. New York Times has said that 70% or more of the American people feel that democracy is being endangered. Uh, it's being endangered because I think we've lost sight of the power of our history, of our founding fathers, and of the primacy of our Constitution that made us one nation. I hope that that's something that readers will take to heart. And finally, as you did all this research on this man, Daniel Webster, anything surprise you about him that you didn't know? Well, there's a lot about him that I, I didn't realize. I mean, one of the things about him that I find so fascinating is that um, his speeches would be excerpted in school books at the time. So uh, in the readers that every school child in America read from about 1830 on, there would be excerpts of Webster's speeches as great examples of American rhetoric. And every school child uh, would be required to memorize these words and stand up and recite them. Now, there were, by 1850, there were 50 million copies of the Pierpont Reader and the McGuffey Reader, both of which contain these, these excerpts of Webster's speeches. And it really shaped, I think, and indoctrinated the, the generation of men that went on to fight in the American Civil War. So these men were motivated by Webster's words. And I think 
uh, it was so important to the survival of our union. He is Joel Richard Paul. The book is Indivisible, Daniel Webster and the Birth of American Nationalism. Joel, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks so much for having me, Steve. It's been a pleasure. And this is Speaking of Writers.